Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5 with me. There are Bibles at the table as well. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we'd love to have you follow along. We're going to be diving back into our study through the book of Nehemiah next Sunday. But I want to further equip us in, in God's Word today when it comes to the spiritual battle that we each face. Some of you may have fought a spiritual battle just to get here this morning, trying to get out of bed, trying to get your kids ready, just being on the freeway maybe, but we, we have it, we, we face it, and I believe this is a timely area of equipping after coming off the heels of, of many different studies in the book of Nehemiah where we saw Nehemiah, we saw the people of Israel facing enemy opposition, and also Pastor Jeff's message last week where he taught on on praying through the Lord's Prayer, a really great message, Uh, really appreciate Pastor Jeff, so thankful for him, but part of that prayer had to do with asking the Lord to not lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one, so even in that, there's this this preparation of of Jesus saying, look, you're in a battle, There's temptation, there's an evil one. We're in a battle, but are we prepared? This morning, before we get back into our study of Nehemiah, we're going to look at a study I've titled, Prepared for the Battle. Our main text is going to be 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Let's read those two verses here as we start our time. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The apostle Peter, a man who was very much familiar with persecution and opposition and difficulty and trials and suffering and hardship had a unique perspective regarding the devil he writes about here and the reason that he gives these two preparatory commands to be sober and vigilant when writing about our spiritual enemy. As a reminder, in Peter's time walking with Jesus in his earthly ministry, the night before Jesus' death, when he was still in the upper room with his disciples, Jesus gave a very specific and startling word of insight to Peter that Satan had asked for him. I don't know how you or I would respond, but I think the first thing that we would probably say is, did you tell him no? <laughs> Satan's asked for you. Uh, can you tell me what you... You didn't give him permission, right? <laughs> like, But... Here's what we find in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, conversation here. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. If you are familiar at all with, you know, the nation of Israel was very much an agrarian society, at this time, so sifting wheat would not have been an abnormal term or picture for Peter. He would have known exactly what Jesus was referring to when, when Jesus said this, that, that Satan says, I want to sift Peter like wheat. They take the, the, the head of the wheat, the grain of the wheat, and they put it on the threshing floor. They put it all there, and they had this, this threshing sledge, right, this blade, and they would knock through the wheat. They're trying to basically separate the wheat from the chaff. And so what Satan really is asking Jesus here is, I want to tear Peter to pieces. I want to do a separating work in his life, not separating him like, let's sanctify Peter to you, Jesus. Let's make him more holy. No, I want to like dice him to pieces. I want to mess him up. Fast forward some hours there, Peter's prayerlessness in the garden where he slept while Jesus asked him to watch and pray 
no doubt played a role in the denials of, uh, of him denying Jesus later that morning around the fire while Jesus was being unjustly tried by the religious leaders. He had been warned by Jesus that Satan wanted to thrash him. He had experienced a bit of thrashing because of his lack of soberness and vigilance spiritually against the devil. I I believe this subject here, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, was something close to Peter's heart because Peter had experienced this firsthand, a lack of soberness, a lack of vigilance, a lack of standing and resisting that led to him getting messed up and actually denying Jesus, something that for us could follow us the whole rest of our lives. We're just constantly living under this state of condemnation where, where you're just thinking about that, that moment, those moments where three different times you had an opportunity to stand with Jesus, but you actually denied him. I mean, even before that, in Jesus' ministry, there was a moment going to the cross in those times leading to the cross where Peter rebukes Jesus because he, he's like, no way, Jesus, you're not going, you're not going to die and, and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. As far as I know, no other person was ever called Satan by Jesus in the gospel accounts. So when Peter talks about Satan, when he talks about the, the battle, I think Peter's a good source for us to receive from. But I love this. Jesus had prayed for Peter. Though Peter denied Jesus, he did return. He was restored by Jesus. He did strengthen his brethren as Jesus said that he would. And now, almost 30 years later, Peter's writing these things in his first epistle here. Having learned the hard way. But but wanting to strengthen his brethren brethren, his brothers and sisters in Christ, so that those in his day and and us today will be equipped in this spiritual battle that we're constantly in, whether we're always aware of that battle or not. Look again at the first part of verse 8 with me. Peter begins by giving two commands. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Given that these commands come before the insight he gives about our adversary, the devil, these commands are very much preparatory, preparing, and meant to be taken extremely seriously by us. He says, be sober, which means to be restrained, to be self-controlled, to be clear-headed, to be on guard. That word is also translated sober-minded. And with that soberness, that sober-mindedness, he adds, be vigilant, which means to be on the alert, to be awake, to be watchful. Why the command to be sober and vigilant? Well, Peter says, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's clear to me from how Peter begins this teaching on spiritual warfare and our spiritual enemy that he's, he, he's wanting us to be aware of and in tune with the unseen reality that we're in a spiritual battle with a very real adversary. I think one of the first steps in being prepared for the battle is to realize that we're in a battle and to identify and know about our enemy who's waging warfare against us, and this is especially true when it comes to our spiritual enemy in this spiritual battle. I was trying to think of like sort of like a modern day, lesser sort of application. It's like it's like the warriors and the kings in the playoffs right now. You're in a battle. This is totally unspiritual. You're in a battle, and the thing is, the enemy knows about you. Mike Brown was the assistant head coach for years. And so th- there's, there's, there's inside information. You're trying to win, but the enemy knows about you. He knows how you work. He knows how the thing operates. Again, very unspiritual. But 
in a similar way, the enemy knows about you and me. He's had thousands of years of watching our behavior, watching our tendencies, watching the things that we're easily tempted by. He doesn't need to know your thoughts to judge by your behavior and your words. What are those things that can trip you and me up? The devil is real. Peter did not speak of him as being a fictional being. Neither did Jesus, neither did any of the other biblical writers from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. The fact that he's unseen does not make him less real. It just makes him more dangerous. But again, part of us being prepared for the battle is being able to identify our enemy. And Mike Brown's not the enemy. I'm not, that's just, that was a really unspiritual picture. But anyways, moving on. If you maybe are newer in the faith, or maybe you've had an upbringing where, you know, because the devil's been sort of sensationalized by the world. The picture that we have of Satan is often, he's red, he has horns, and a pointy tail, and he carries a pitchfork. I have no idea where that picture comes from, because it's not, we don't see that at all in Scripture. That's not, that's not what he's like. But the, but the devil, who we also know as Satan, the accuser, the enemy, our adversary, the wicked one, the evil one, the prince of this world, the serpent, the dragon, the destroyer, among other names, was first known as Lucifer, an angel created by God, which first and foremost tells us he's not God's equal. He's not God's equal. This is not, when we think of the spiritual battle, it's not, like, it's not two equals coming against each other. Satan's downfall has already been foretold in Scripture. He's going to be in the lake of fire for all eternity being tormented. Ezekiel 28 tells us he was created as an anointed cherub, the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. No idea what this means, but he walked among the fiery stones of God, which just sounds cool. Until, as Ezekiel 28 tells us, iniquity was found in him. Isaiah 14 tells us that it was Lucifer's pride that caused him to fall from heaven. That Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. He said, I will be like the Most High. See, Lucifer, the devil, Satan, wanted his will over God's will. It was pride, defiance, rebellion. And in his rebellion, he took a third of the angels with him, according to Revelation 12, verse 4. These fallen angels now being known as demons. And from that point on, he has been and always will be in rebellion to God. Again, in contrast with what the world thinks of Satan, this red being, the horns, the pitchfork, the pointy tail. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 through 15 actually tells us that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light so that people will believe his lies as if they were the truth. And that just as he transforms himself into a believable angel of light, his ministers or his servants here on earth also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, but it's all lies, it's all deception, and we have to be on guard. Now again, when Jesus comes in his second coming to the earth and judgment at the end of the great tribulation period, Satan is going to be taken and bound and cast into the bottomless pit where he's going to be sealed and kept for a thousand years, according to Revelation 20, verses 1 and 2. But that time has not come yet. Another false picture that we have of Satan is that he's down in hell, kind of participating in torturing people. Also not biblical. Right now, the devil is in the unseen spiritual realm, but he is clearly working here on earth. After the millennial reign of Christ upon the earth, Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10 tells us that the devil, devil is going to be cast into the lake of fire. He's going to be tormented again day and night forever and ever. 
But while his future judgment is certain, until that judgment and that eternal punishment comes, he is a ferocious foe who's bent on taking as many people down with him as possible. Back to our text in verse 8, we see that our spiritual adversary, our spiritual enemy, the devil, is likened to a roaring lion who is walking about looking for people that he can devour or destroy. What this tells us is that our spiritual enemy is active. He's active. He doesn't take a break. He doesn't go on vacation. That he's prowling the earth. But unlike an actual lion, he doesn't get tired. He doesn't need to sleep. doesn't have any of the physical limitations an actual lion has. And he has an unceasing appetite for the destruction of human life. Because he's always active, guys, we must always be sober and vigilant spiritually so we aren't blindsided by him. But, but notice again here that he's likened to a roaring lion. You know, a, a lion's roar, while sounding really crazy, it is part of how it communicates and intimidates. It's part of how it communicates and intimidates. And that tells us a lot about our enemy's tactics. See, our, ad, our adversary, the devil, uses his voice, his roar, in our lives in a lot of different ways. And I'll just kind of share a handful of them, and there's definitely more that could be added here. He, he uses his voice, his roar, to cause us to live in fear. To live in fear. Wanting us to forget about the Lord, to doubt the Lord in our circumstances, to cause us to not live by faith. Have you ever been fearful in a way where you just don't step into things or maybe you don't walk in the things that you know that the Lord has already told you to do in his word? The, the, the roar of the enemy, communicating, intimidating, to want to cause us to not live by faith, to live by our trust in Jesus. He uses his voice, his roar, to cause us to be distracted, wanting us to take our eyes off of the Lord so that we become focused on other things. Maybe you've heard the term of this phrase before, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. There's some truth there. I mean, he doesn't have to get you walking in all kinds of sin to, to make you a believer who's not living for the kingdom of God. Just make you busy. When I think of the Bay Area, I think of busyness. Man, so much busyness, so many things, so much that we can give our time to, and we do. And we get so busy that, you know what, we're, we're distracted. We're thinking about all these other things instead of the, the, the things that we really should be focused on, the most important things that Jesus has called us to in this life, which is just to be about him and his kingdom. He'll use his voice, his roar, to cause us to feel condemned. The, the name devil means slanderer or accuser. In Revelation 12, verse 10, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And he loves to trip us up with his false accusations against us. But he'll even use true things that God has already forgiven us of that will bring us to a place of feeling condemned. I mean, think about when Satan came before God in the book of Job. He's like, cool, God, he's only serving you because you're, you're treating him well. You're not letting anything happen to him. You're providing for him. Look at all his wealth. Look at all of his kids. Look at all of his livestock. You take all that from you, he'll curse you to your face. And you think about the things that the devil tries to bring against us. You know one of those things about condemnation that, that often happens in our lives is that condemnation cripples us. It cripples us. I can't even move forward 
when I'm dealing with, and you know the interesting thing about condemnation is there can be things that are a conviction from the Lord. The Holy Spirit will 100% bring conviction in your and my life when there's sin that's not being dealt with, not being confessed or repented of. He'll bring conviction. But the thing about conviction is that conviction leads us to repentance so that we can experience that rest of our souls, that 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 place of the burden being lifted, that place of, of having freedom in Jesus Christ and knowing that I've got peace with God. Condemnation, after you've asked for forgiveness, after you've repented, it's still there. That thing's not from the Lord. It's that dark cloud there that's just there, and you want, you want to move forward, but it just seems impossible at times to do, and you, you know that you can't come to the Lord with it, but, but it still kind of keeps coming up in your mind. The enemy loves to bring that sort of condemnation. And again, there could be a lot more, but he'll, he'll use his voice, his word, to cause us to drift, drift off course in our walk with Jesus, wanting to get us to buy into his lies with worldly philosophy to get us to stop seeing sin the way that God has clearly defined it for us in his word, wanting to deceive us with false teaching. But he also uses his voice's roar to cause us to sin, not only putting all kinds of temptations around us, but also trying to insert those temptations into our thought life because he knows better than we do that sin begins in the mind, as James talks about, before it ever takes place outwardly, physically, in our lives. All of that roaring, all that communication and the intimidation is so that he can accomplish the devouring that his heart is set upon as he seeks after us. His never-ending search, his never-ending desire and passion is to destroy the people that God desires to save. Jesus called the devil a thief, gave us insight into the devil's mission. He said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. See, if the devil can't destroy us eternally, he'll try to devour or destroy us in other ways. Devouring our joy and our peace. Devouring our confidence in the Lord and His Word. Devouring our sweet fellowship with the Lord through sin. Devouring our witness for Jesus so that we don't lead others to new life in Him. And at the very least, he'll seek to devour our passion for Jesus through complacency and apathy, knowing that if he gets us caught up with lesser things, we will not fully live for Jesus Christ. Our God wants us to be in the know when it comes to our spiritual enemy and his tactics against us. So we must be clear-headed and watchful and prepared in this battle. So we've identified our enemy. We've identified some of his tactics, been made aware of the spiritual battle that's going on. In verse 9, though, we're told how to battle against our adversary. Look at verse 9. It says, Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So knowing all of that about our spiritual enemy, what's, what's the battle plan? What's the strategy for us? Peter says, resist him, steadfast in the faith. This strategy, at least from my perspective, you're probably in the same sort of place as me, seems very unconventional from like a worldly battle sort of perspective, right? Peter's like, we, we have an, an enemy. It's like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he made his desire. Okay, what do we do, Peter? Stand. Just stand there. Resist him. And while this strategy is unconventional, it's effective. 
It's been proven successful by all who have taken God at his word here and put this verse into practice in their lives spiritually. See, because the devil is a slanderer, a liar, an accuser who loves to operate through fear and intimidation, our faith, our trust in God is the key to us experiencing victory against Satan presently. We are to fight the devil through unshakable resistance and an unwillingness to flee as we stand in faith in our God. He just wants us to stand and and to trust in him and what he said and what he's done and who we are in him. Check, Check out what James said in his letter as he wrote a similar thing to Peter here, but gives some added insight. James 4 verse 7 James writes, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, a believer, this is really important here, a believer whose life, whose mind is not submitted to God, is a believer whose life and mind is vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. See, if we're walking in our pride if our lives are unsubmitted to the authority of the Lord, you and I are easy prey. There's a reason why the Bible says that pride leads to destruction, why the Bible speaks so strongly about pride and why it exalts humility the way that it does. Because when you and I are are unsubmitted to the Lord, we're not relying upon the Lord. We're not trusting in the Lord. Our faith is not really in the Lord, because in my pride, I'm trusting me. I'm trusting in me. I'm trusting in what someone else says. In order for us to be able to resist Satan, we first need to be in submission to God. Resistance to the devil is only possible for someone who has aligned themselves with our victorious Savior, Jesus and is submitted to his will and his lordship. It's only by God's grace and power and Christ's victory on the cross that we're able to resist, not by our power, not by our effort that we're able to resist. Check out what Paul told the church in Colossae in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. He wrote there, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You know, when we picture the cross, from the devil's perspective, from the demonic realm's perspective, as Jesus is hanging there, that was their moment of victory. We got him. We got rid of him. We thwarted his messianic plan to save. And Paul's like, no, actually, the reality of the cross is that Jesus disarmed He disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them, actually. And he triumphed over them through the cross. Because of what Jesus accomplished through his death, because the cross was his place of triumph over the demonic realm, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we've surrendered our lives to him, we are now on the winning side of the spiritual battle and his victory enables us to resist as we stay submitted to him. But but let me point out a few things here that we need to keep in mind. First, just because Satan is a defeated foe, it does not mean that he is not still a dangerous foe. He might be defeated, but that doesn't mean he's not still dangerous. He's walking about. He's roaming the earth like a roaring lion, seeking 
whom he may devour. And we need to take this spiritual battle and our spiritual enemy seriously. The second thing is that our enemy knows our weakness and he's looking for opportunities and openings to mess us up. And third is that God has given us what we need to be victorious over the devil, and he's given us the battle plan. Peter told us resist, that word resist means literally to stand against and oppose the devil. Steadfast in the faith. We're, we're told the same sort of thing by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church of Ephesus. Listen to what he said in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. He said there, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, able, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. How do we resist the devil? We stand in the Lord. We stand in the power of His might. We stand with His armor. We hold fast to his word. We, we go to him in prayer when the enemy is coming against us. And the promise of God is that when we do that, the enemy will flee from us. These are promises here. You know, we think about it, and it can be easy to feel like this is a, this is a daunting dangerous, like I need to always be on high alert and like fearful that the, like, the, the devil's going to jump out behind a bush and like, it, it's not that. You and I are not to be cowering in fear. The picture of the, 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 the life of faith is not a life of fear or, or, or like cowardice or like, oh gosh, I'm always just waiting for the shoe to drop, like something bad's about to happen. It's a life of confidence. It's a life of power. It's a life filled with the strength of the Lord. When he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, he's not telling us something that's not accessible for you and me. When he talks about the armor of God, he's not talking about these elements, these things that are made available, but only for some. Once you get to a certain place in your walk, then you get the armor. Then you get the, you don't give the armor and the sword to someone new. No, that's not how it works. The helmet of salvation, what do we have? We've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That area that's most vulnerable to you and me, our, our soul has been saved by Jesus Christ. That area that you and I struggle with so often righteousness, a right standing before God, what's been supplied, the righteousness of Jesus, imputed, put in our account. It's like a breastplate. It's, it's covering us. Those vital organs are all protected by the righteousness of Jesus. The shield of faith, how do you and I handle the lies of the enemy, the temptation of the enemy? We trust in the Lord and what he said. That's it. How do we defend? How do we deflect the fiery darts? Doesn't the enemy know how to shoot those fiery darts? Oh, man. The shield of faith. I'm going to trust Jesus. Temptation is the easy way out of obedience to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to trust you over what my flesh is wanting in this moment. I'm going to trust your word over the fear that the enemy's trying to bring in. The shield of faith. 
the belt of truth. What's going to hold everything up in your life? What's going to keep everything in place? What's going to allow you to run? Because that's what the belt did in Bible days, right? Using the belt to hitch up the, the garment so you don't get tripped up. How do we keep from getting tripped up? What's, what's holding our lives in place? It's the truth of God's word. It's keeping everything there. The sword of the spirit, prayer, the only two weapons. The sword of the spirit, the word of God and prayer. You and I have these things. These aren't foreign things. These aren't reserved for some. These are for you and me. And each day that we can go, Lord, thank you for your salvation. Lord, thank you for your righteousness. Lord, thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for that shield of faith that, Lord, trust in you can actually be the thing that shields me from what the enemy is trying to bring against me. Lord, thank you that I have your word. Thank you that I can communicate with you and you can speak to me, Lord, through prayer. God, I have you. I have everything that I need to stand. You and I are not lacking anything to be able to stand in the Lord to resist the devil. The promise is that when we do these things, the enemy will flee from us. He doesn't flee because we use some sort of magic word like, I rebuke you, Satan! And I'm not saying that you can't say that, but it is actually not a biblical prescription for us in Scripture when dealing with Satan. Jude tells us that even Michael, the archangel, dared not bring a reviling accusation against the devil, but that he said, the Lord rebuke you. The power is not in us. It's not in me saying, I rebuke you. The enemy is coming against, Lord, would you rebuke the devil? I want to send it back to the Lord. I don't want to have a conversation with the devil. Don't start talking to the devil. Talk to the Lord about the devil. Lord, would you do something about the enemy right now? Lord, would you protect me? Would you deliver me from the evil one? That was the model of prayer that Jesus gave. Lord, deliver me. Lead me out of temptation. We are to resist, to stand against the devil, being steadfast, not wavering in our faith. We resist the devil through steadfast faith, a faith that's rooted in the word of God and the God of the word. Steadfast means immovable, unshakable, a firm or solid determination or resolution. Again, we fight through our faith. Resistance is an act of faith where we're trusting that God will protect us, will defend us, will drive the enemy from us as we look to him and hold fast to him. Charles Spurgeon had this to say about resisting. He said, Resist, be more prayerful every time he is more active. He will soon give it up if he finds that his attacks drive you to Christ. Often has Satan been nothing but a big black dog to drive Christ's sheep nearer to the master. I love that. Instead of allowing the enemy to draw us away from the Lord, the enemy's attacks should drive us to the Lord. Our slanderous accuser knows how to fight us, knows our weaknesses and frailties, a sharpshooter with the fiery darts. How we combat him is through the shield of faith, our steadfast faith in our victorious Lord Jesus and who he is, what he's done, what he's said, what the Lord says about us. As our good shepherd Jesus said in John 10, 27, no one can snatch his sheep out of his hand. Our protection and our security isn't found in how strong you and I are or what we've done. It's found in who we belong to as sheep, who our shepherd is, what he said. And I'm going to trust Jesus over the lies of the enemy any day. But there's one final word of clarity and encouragement that Peter gives in the second half of verse 9. 
Peter ends by saying, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So there's a reminder here that the devil is working overtime to come against Jesus' church in the world. That much of the opposition and persecution the church is experiencing today is a result of satanic involvement. But there's also an encouragement for us here in the knowledge that we're not facing this battle alone, but that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, in this room, who are in this battle with us. The enemy wants us to think and feel that we're alone in the battle. He wants us to feel isolated in the things that we're facing. You ever notice that about temptation and sin? The enemy wants to get us isolated, get you away from the flock. When you're isolated, then to make you feel insulated, to just all everything, you're just thinking about all the things that are going on, but it's all internal and it's directed inwardly instead of going to the Lord with all of it. But we're not alone in the fight. We're not alone in the discouragement. We're not alone in the suffering. We're not alone in the persecution. We're not alone in the temptations that any of us are experiencing, and this should bring us great comfort. But along with the great comfort, it should also cause us to want to stand in the gap in prayer for our brotherhood around the world who are suffering for Christ. Man, we have it really good here. There are so many believers all over the world who are experiencing severe persecution for their faith in Christ. All over the world. So many closed countries to the gospel. Believers being imprisoned. Believers being killed. Martyred for their faith in Jesus. Even today. In, in thinking about the prayers of the saints. What God does. And it, and it may not be the lifting of persecution. That's not likely the thing that will happen. But what if it's comfort in the affliction? What, what if it's strength to endure? What if it's empowerment to be a witness in the midst of persecution? Because I'll tell you this, in some of these closed countries, the gospel is, is going forth in an, an amazing way. The church of Jesus Christ is booming in some of the areas that we would least like, we would think kind of be the, to be the least likely, like in China and in, in, in Iran. There are areas in the world where God is doing an amazing work and it's happening not with ease. It's happening in the midst of severe persecution. we got to be praying for the brotherhood. But what Peter said in the second half of verse 9 reminded me again of what Jesus told Peter. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. You see the contrast there? Hey, Peter, Satan's asked for you. He wants to sift you. But let me tell you what I'm doing. I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. See, in the victories and the failures, Jesus, our great high priest, Whoever lives to make intercession for you and me is praying for us, even now at the right hand of the Father. I'm sure at times he's praying the same sort of thing for us as he did for Peter, that our faith would not fail. But what about when it does? Return. Return. Strengthen your brethren. In the victories and the failures, Jesus has prayed for us. He is praying for us. You know, at times, maybe our faith has been strong. Other times, it's been weak. But Jesus is praying for us. And I believe we have a responsibility to take our experiences of victories and failures and seek to strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you imagine 
if we had no example of failure in the disciples? And then we, we, and then we experience failure, and then what do we do? We just feel like we're the anomaly. The standard was perfection over here. These guys never blew it. Satan's never rebuked, never, or sorry, Peter's never rebuked, never called Satan. Jesus never rebukes his disciples for keeping the children from coming to him. As the disciples are talking among themselves multiple times about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus is having to deal with these things, we learn through failure as well. And, and failure is the thing that we are least likely to share with somebody else. We want to share the victory, the good things. But we don't want people to know the areas of weakness in our lives, the struggles that we face, the ways that we've blown it. Even though we've experienced the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in our lives, even though we've experienced the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus and how he's changed us and how he's sanctified us and we're not who we once were, but guys, will we learn from these things as, as well to learn how to strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ, both through the victories and the failures? Now the worship team come back up. You know, we have to be on guard. Again, we're not to be cowering in fear. We're not to be just waiting for something terrible to happen, but we are to be on guard. We're to be sober and vigilant against the enemy who's seeking to prevail against us. But praise Jesus, he's already won the victory. He is protecting us. He wants to empower us and cause us to stand. He's promised to not leave us or forsake us. And he will not allow the weapons of the enemy to prosper against us. Jesus today has strength and might for us to stand in. Spiritual armor for us to be clothed in so that we can withstand in the evil day and having done all to keep standing. Remember today, we are fighting from a place of victory. So let's be sober. Let's be vigilant. Let's resist the devil. Let's be steadfast in our faith. And let's be praying for and encouraging one another because we're in this battle together. But you know what? Maybe you've come today and you feel like the enemy has taken that threshing sledge to your life. Maybe you feel like this week, this past month, this past year, maybe it's been like 10 years, that you feel like, man, he's been sifting me like wheat, messing me up. Maybe you feel like you're losing, fighting a losing battle against temptation and sin. If that's you, God is wanting you to submit yourself to him once again. To come back to that place of humility and surrender and dependency. That he wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to cause you to stand. He wants to give you victory over sin and Satan. Yes, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Abundant life. And if our life right now is not being characterized by abundant life, Lord, do it. Lord, do that work. Do a fresh work in my life. Lord, give me victory where I'm struggling. But if you've come this morning and you don't have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, look, know this morning Jesus loves you. He died for you. He took your sin and my sin upon a Roman cross so that you and I could be forgiven that he would take our sin and give us his righteousness, the most unfair exchange to ever take place. And yet he did it because of his great love for you and for me. And so if that's anybody this morning, you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, would you stand where you're at just to say, hey, that's me. I, I want my sins forgiven. I, I, want, I, I want to know that my place in heaven is reserved. I want that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that anybody this morning? And you're going, that's me. Maybe this morning you feel like, gosh, I've walked into this place and I'm just battered 
I'm, lo- I'm fighting that losing battle and I need the Lord to bring victory in my life. Would you have the boldness, the humility to stand this morning and say, that's me. Would you pray for me this morning so I can stand, so I can resist the devil? Is that anybody this morning you're going, Lord, I, I need you. I need, I need your power in my life. I need strength. Anyone at all? Yes. Yes. Let me remind you, God gives grace to the humble. So if you this morning are feeling like, no, I've got it, I can figure it out, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out eventually, you're not going to. Humble yourself, and He will lift you up. Is that anybody else? Awesome. Lord, I pray for these that have stood this morning. Lord, you know their lives. Maybe even for some this morning, they're just going, I, don't, I wouldn't characterize my life <laughs> as having that abundant life. But Lord, whether it's, it's just a lack of that abundant life, that's kind of spirit-filled, victorious life, or maybe there's just some struggles there and they're feeling beat up by the enemy and, and they've not been finding that strength to, to, to resist the devil. Lord, this morning, God, would you remind them that you've clothed them with your armor. Lord, would they remember, Lord, how you've saved them. Lord, how you've given them your righteousness. Lord, how they have your truth. Lord, how they have that shield of faith, Lord. God, would would you clothe them afresh, Lord, just a fresh reminder of what you've done. Lord, would you cause them to stand in your strength and in your power, Lord, would you give them the victory, Lord, over the temptations and the tactics of the devil, Lord God. Lord, would you rebuke the devil this morning, cause him to flee. Lord, this morning we stand strong in Jesus, not because we're strong on our own, but Lord Jesus, you're strong in us. Thank you for triumphing at the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for going there. Lord, even though it was, it was the worst thing for you, Lord, thank you that you did it because of your great love for us. And Lord, would you make us those who strengthen the brotherhood, Lord? Would we be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world? Even now we pray for them, Lord, who are experiencing severe persecution. Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you cause them to stand? Lord, would you empower them, Lord, in the midst of the suffering? Lord, would you, would you make them bold witnesses for you, Lord? Would their captors, would their persecutors turn to a saving knowledge of you, Lord Jesus? God, would you get your gospel into the most closed-off parts, the most unreached areas of our world? And Lord, would you meet, Lord, your people, God, wherever they're at this morning? Lord, we need you, but we're thankful that we have you. <laughs> Lord, we're thankful that we have you, and you have us, more importantly. And so, Lord, would you go forth with us from this place this week? Lord, would you send us out from this place, Lord, in the power of your spirit? Lord, would we live those spirit-filled, abundant, victorious lives in Jesus? And, Lord, as we sing these songs of praise, as we take the communion elements, Lord, as there's opportunity for prayer, God, continue to move by your spirit, Lord. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.